Hello, welcome back to Wrestling Highlights of the Week, presented by My Two Cents Podcast, hosted by G2. I am G2. I am here to give you the Wrestling Highlights of the Week for Raw, SmackDown, NXT, AEW Dynamite, AEW Rampage, and Impact Wrestling. Without further ado, let's start off with Monday Night Raw. Raw opens up with a Seth Rollins Ingram promo, and he ends up calling out Cody Rhodes. Cody comes out. Cody still had this big, grandiose entrance. I hope he keeps it. I hope that was in his contract. I love it. Cody recounts this location, Raw's in Buffalo, and he calls this Rhodes Country. And he mentioned how the Rhodes family has history in this location and in this exact arena. As a matter of fact, they have history with Seth Rollins. And he's, for the people that don't know, he's talking about Battleground 2013 when the Rhodes uh, family of Cody and Dustin Rhodes or Goldust with their father, Dusty, in their corner will go against the Shield. And that was in a storyline whenever uh, Cody and Dustin lost their jobs at WWE and they tried to get it back. And they won it back in Buffalo at that uh, pay-per-view in 2013. Seth talks about how he made Cody a star at WrestleMania. And at Mania, he had an unfair advantage. And Cody beat him. Seth takes a second to recollect himself. Because he tells Cody that is a tough pill for him to swallow. And he calls Cody the flavor of the month. And he isn't the future of the industry Seth freaking Rollins is. Seth would then tell Cody that he's been at the mountaintop, the mountaintop being world champion, and that makes him better than Cody. Cody does give credit to Seth by mentioning that, yeah, you've been to the mountaintop. As a matter of fact, to be more precise, you've been at the top of the mountaintop four times, but that doesn't negate the fact that I beat you at WrestleMania. Seth takes anger to this and he's upset, so he issues a challenge to Cody and has Cody feel the exact same way that Seth had to feel at Mania. He tells Cody that, well, how about you, in the main event, face somebody of my choosing and you won't know until he steps out. Cody accepts, so now we have our main event for the night. After this, we have our first match of the night and it's for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. It is Naomi and Sasha defending those belts against Liv Morgan and Rhea Ripley. Sasha and Naomi would win the match by pinfall when Naomi held Rhea in a full Nelson, and then Sasha would hit a cold breaker. Then Naomi would hit a full uh, sit-out full Nelson, and then Sasha would roll up Rhea for the win. After the match, Liv would check on Rhea, and Liv would apologize to Rhea for not being there to try to stop the count. Rhea wasn't trying to hear it, and she just keeps on calling Liv. Uh, is not acceptable. I'm always there for you. You're not there for me. And she tries to walk away, but Liv grabs her by the arm and tells her, hey, you need to relax and cool down. I'll leave. You try to calm yourself down. And as Liv tries to walk away, you see Rhea just attacks her from behind and starts mauling her. And I mean, she just starts mauling and punching on her in the face. Liv tries to cover up. She's cover up majority of the hits. But Rhea will grab her up, hit her with the riptide, and then leave the ring. So... As everybody suspected, Rhea did turn on Liv because we all knew Liv and Rhea was not winning the tag titles tonight. After this, we had Sonya Deville come out for her in-ring promo. Sonya explains why she attacked Bianca Belair. She mentions that she is a competitor first and that she was put in this WWE uh, officials role and that, quite simply, she wants to beat Bianca because Bianca is the best. And technically, she gave Bianca what she wanted and that was a challenger. So she mentions how this isn't personal, it's just business. 
Bianca will come out and get in the ring and almost put hands on Sonya. Sonya has to let Bianca know that she, at this moment, is a WWE official and that if Bianca puts hands on her, she will have repercussions. Bianca tells Sonya that she wants to have her match tonight with her. Sonya shuts that down and tells her that they will have their match next week in Bianca's hometown of Tennessee, well, Knoxville, Tennessee, and that her parents can see their daughter lose a championship since they are used to seeing her lose a championship quickly. Bianca's upset at this, and Sonya gets in Bianca's face and says, oh, you want to say something? Bianca quickly grabs up Sonya Deville, has her in position for the KOD, but Sonya tells Bianca to let her down or she will be fined, suspended, and the title will be stripped off of her. Bianca does put Sonya down, but she throws her off and then walks out of the ring. Later in the night, you have Sonya Deville walk up on Adam Pearce and complain that Bianca needs to be fined. Bianca tells Sonya that that's being handled at the moment, but Pierce does let Sonya Deville know that the higher-ups are looking into Sonya Deville's conduct, and she might have to face the ramifications. Sonya is trying to say, my conduct? What are you talking about? And as soon as they're having this conversation, you see Bianca walk in. Sonya tells Pierce that, see, this is what I'm talking about. She doesn't need to be here right now. And then Bianca saying, I'm here to pay my fine. Sonya tries to tell him that she can pay on uh, Venmo or PayPal or Cash App, but... She ends up handing Adam Pierce a $1 bill. She hands it to Pierce. Pierce says, I hope you learned your lesson. Bianca says, yeah, I learned a whole dollar's worth. And then walks away. Sonya Deville can't believe that Bianca paid a dollar. I like this because this was an old trading, not trading day, but like trading places like dollar bill. If you understand the trading places a uh, bit, I understood it. You will understand that real uh, easily on this part. After this, we had Veer going against a local guy. Veer would beat the guy by submission when Veer would lock in the clavicle lock and the guy would tap out. After the match, Veer would apply the maneuver again on the guy. The referees and officials would come out from the back and get in the ring and tell Veer to get off. Veer would let go and then lock on the maneuver again and crank on it the same way that he did Dominant Mysterio last week. Officials would again tell Veer to let go and even try to pull Veer off. They would get... Veer off of him, and Veer will walk away. Again, uh, medics and people will have to put the guy on stretcher, just like they did Dominic last week, and stretcher him out of the arena. After this, we have the KO show with his special guest, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel was here to take a lie detector test, and Chad Gable is officiating the test. Ezekiel was asked, was Elias his older brother? Was his real name Ezekiel? And is he Elias? Ezekiel would pass a lie detector test with flying colors by answering that Elias is his older brother, his name is Ezekiel, and no, he is not Elias. KO would get so upset at this, he told Chad Gable that you must got paid off by Ezekiel, well, Elias over here, and Gable was saying, I have too much academic uh, pride to be paid off by somebody, and you get Kevin Owens, just basically get all up in Ezekiel's face, Kevin Owens would say, you need to tell the truth or else, and then Ezekiel says, or else what? You see Kevin Owens walk out of the ring, and then from behind, Ezekiel will get attacked by Chad Gable, and they will have their match right now. Ezekiel would win the match by disqualification when Ezekiel had Gable in a single leg Boston Crab, Otis out of nowhere would run into the ring, and it hits Ezekiel with a body attack, like run his body up on Ezekiel to break up the uh submission and it just like stomp on him. 
and then him and Gable would get out of the ring. So Ezekiel has one win over Chad Gable, and he has one win in his record books. We know we're going to get Kevin Owens going against Ezekiel, probably at WrestleMania Backlash. They're just trying to build that up, and that's going to be interesting to see that. After this, we will have RK Bro going against the Street Profits. Uh, the Street Profits will win the match by pinfall using a nefarious uh, act. And what I mean nefarious, I'm about to tell you right now. When Riddle was setting up for the RKO on Angelo Dawkins, Montez Ford on the ring apron will wave down, and you would think that he's waving somebody down. You would hear the Usos music hit, and now you have Riddle and Orton both looking up the entrance ramp to see if the Usos were coming. And this would allow Forge to run in the ring, hit a drop kick on Randy. Angelo Dawkins would put Riddle on his shoulder, and Montez Ford would hit a blockbuster on Riddle, and then Dawkins would cover him for the win. After the match, the Tree Profits are on the entrance ramp, and they say, who would cue up the Usos music at a particular time like this? So the Street Profits are basically getting into their bag of tricks. They're doing whatever they can to let the tag team division know, hey, you guys have a tag team thing going on between you and the Usos, but don't forget, we're here, and we shouldn't be forgotten, and they want a shot at those tag titles. So the Street Profits are here to let everybody know they should be taken seriously instead of always being the guys that are just out here to have a good time. And I like that personally. We need to see this kind of spark out of the Street Profits. We got that out of the New Day from time to time, so I'm glad we've seen it out of the Street Profits now for them to uh, turn it up, if you will. After this, we would get Edge and Damian Priest backstage promo. And Edge would mention that last week in the match between Damian Priest and AJ that that was all mind games of Damian Priest kneeling down, purple lighting, disappearing. Edge lets everybody know that he's had that knowledge, but he's been kept dormant. He reminded people that he was in the brood. He was under the Ministry of Darkness. And that that version of Edge is not as dangerous as this version currently. This version is more dangerous than ever before. Edge mentioned how people forgot that Damian Priest was the guy holding up Bad Bunny last year at Mania and got none of the glory, and that Bad Bunny got all of it, and that Damian Priest was left off of WrestleMania this year, and you wonder why Damian Priest is aligned with Edge. Edge talks about how fans were asking for nine years, would he be able to come back, and that Edge scratch and claw to get back here, and two years later, people will be complaining that either he's here too much, not here enough, and he's a part-timer. Edge mentions again that he doesn't care about the fans, so now he turns his attention to AJ and throws out a challenge to AJ to have a match with him at WrestleMania Backlash so they can end this. AJ later in the night will answer that in a backstage uh, locker room promo, and he accepts the challenge, and then you see the lights start flickering and turn purple. And from either side, you saw Edge and Priest standing on each side of Styles, and they would attack AJ Styles putting his arm in a seating bench and is slamming the bench repeatedly on AJ's arm. So now AJ more or less is going to walk in with a arm wrap on his arm whenever he faces Edge at WrestleMania Backlash. After this, we have our United States Championship matchup. Finn Balor defending it against Theory. Theory would win the match by pinfall when Finn would miss the coup de grace, and this would allow Theory to hit the A-Town down for the win. These two had a nice, good match. I'm not going to lie to you, but I was shocked to see Theory win the title off of Finn. 
Uh, after the match, you had American, I mean, Alpha Academy, Apollo Crews, Commander Aziz, The Hurt Business of Cedric and Shelton Benjamin and T-Bar come down to the ring, hold up theory and just like a big victory celebration thing. And then you hear Mr. McMahon's music hit and he will walk out on the stage. Theory will walk out of the ring, walk up to McMahon, take a selfie with him and McMahon will hold up Theory's arm in glory, showing you that. McMahon's protege is on the right path and then McMahon picked the right guy to lead the WWE into the future and that's going to be his future guy down the line uh, I'm not mad at this because I believe he was on the exact same path with Drew McIntyre what in 2009-ish when this happened 2009-ish, 2010-ish and you see where Drew McIntyre is at now so hopefully we don't get a fire theory, and then you got to rebuild it all the way back. And theory does something else. I hope that they know what they have with theory right now. It seems to me they do. So we only got to see what happens in the future. After this, we have an in-ring wedding between Reggie and Dana Brooke, also Kiritazawa and Tamina. This whole thing took forever because the fans were having a nice good time with this. They weren't taking this seriously. This thing, the whole thing, wasn't meant to be taken serious because this whole thing was a big cluster. Uh, the couples in the saying the I do's, getting the kiss, and you just start seeing people pinning each other to try to win the 24-7 title. You saw Reggie pin uh, Dana Brooke, and then Reggie got pinned by Tamina, and then Tamina got pinned by Tazawa, and then Tazawa got pinned by Dana Brooks to end it off, and Dana would ride on the back of R-Truth, who was uh, the minister for this wedding, to the back. So this whole thing was a big cluster. It was a whole mess, just nothing but entertainment-wise. And it was all right. The only thing I liked about this thing was that Naomi and Sasha were like Tamina's like dress handlers because you got the reunion of Team Bad, and that was a good nostalgia thing for me because personally, I thought Team Bad was a good uh, thing. In 20, what, 2016, they got together? 2016, 20... No, 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 no. Was it 2016? No, 2015. Nope. I can't remember the year. Nope, 2015. It was 2015. Uh, yeah, so that's why I was happy about that. Anyway, now to the main event. Cody Rhodes versus Seth Rollins' mystery opponent, and it ends up being Kevin Owens. Cody would win the match by ring out, by count out, if you will, when both him and uh, Kevin Owens were on the ring apron, and Kevin Owens had Cody in between his legs. Cody would flip Kevin Owens over him, and Kevin Owens will land on the ring apron. The hardest part of the ring, they keep on mentioning that to everybody. Cody would get back in the ring. Seth Rollins would go over to Kevin Owens and tell him to get up, get back in the ring. As a matter of fact, Seth Rollins would tell Kevin Owens to get his fat self back into the ring, and this would upset Kevin Owens, and he would tell Seth that this is his problem and walks away. So you see Kevin Owens walking away as the referee's counting, and the ref counts up to 10, rings the bell. Cody wins by count out. Cody isn't happy by this, but he takes the win as a win, goes to the second turnbuckle, tell the fans to clap it up. Fans are clapping it up, but then you see Seth get in the ring and throw Cody out of the ring onto the barricade and start shouting at Cody that this is his house, this is his industry, and that's how we end with Monday Night Raw. This is, again, to further the storyline between Seth Rollins and Cody. I'm here for it because you know what? This is showing that Seth is going to really make Cody's life miserable until he at least gets one up on Cody, and I'm here for it. 
after this, now it's time for NXT. And here's something to note before I get into it. Nathan Frazier, the guy that was trained by Seth Rollins, uh, he will be debuting on NXT next week. Just want to let that be known. Anyway, NXT starts off with Pretty Deadly coming into the ring. They're out here to gloat about becoming the NXT Tag Team Champions after they won the gauntlet match last week. They mentioned how they dominated the NXT UK division. They won the Tag Team Gold over there. And that they left the tag division in the UK because they found the tag scene dry. So that's the reason why they came over to America and won the tag titles. Then you would get Grizzle Young veterans come out and they just start calling Pretty Deadly a disgrace. They mentioned how they weren't invited to the tag gauntlet. And if they were, they would have won the tag team titles. They also mentioned that they're sick to their stomach awaiting in the back. So now they're coming out here to take it. They try to get a match with Pretty Deadly. But they get attacked by Legato del Fantasma. Now, as Legato and Grizzly Young Veteran are fighting around the ring and inside the ring, you see Pretty Deadly leave the ring and they start just disappearing. Referees will come out and try to separate the two, but Grizzly Young Veterans and Legato will fight to the backstage area. Then you will see Braun Breaker make his way through the crowd and into the ring. He ends up calling out Joe Gacy so he can get his father's Hall of Fame ring back. You see lights flickering, and then you see audio of Gacy playing. And the gist of what the audio was saying is that Gacy isn't a hard man to find, and all Braun has to do is come find him. So you see Braun leave the ring, and all throughout the night, you see Braun constantly looking for Gacy in room after room. And you'll hear uh, sound bites from Gacy from each room, and this would just basically play mind games with Braun all the way throughout the night until the last ending of NXT. And I'll get there in a minute. Uh, after this, we will have Tiffany Stratton going against Saray. Tiffany would win the match by pinfall when Saray would try to hit a German suplex on Tiffany. Tiffany will resist so much that Tiffany back headbutts Saray right in the head. Saray gets knocked out. She's laid out in the middle of the ring. Well, not in the middle of the ring, like close to the turnbuckle. Uh, Tiffany would then hit her spinning splash off the second turnbuckle. Onto Saray for the win. Then after this, you have Grayson Waller going against Sangha. Grayson Waller said a couple words in the back before the match happened, saying that he didn't need Sangha. He had a plan put in place uh, whenever he had his arm in a sling, and he allowed people to do things for him that he could have done for himself because he was so dedicated to the plan. But last week when Sangha got pinned, all that went out of the way, so he disassociated himself with Sangha, said some mean words. Sangha heard this. Sangha would try to attack Grayson Waller. Grayson would run like a scared child to the ring. And then that's where this match happens here. Grayson would win the match by pinfall when Sangha and Waller won outside of the ring. And Sangha tried to chokeslam him. But Waller ends up pushing uh, Sangha into the ring post. And then Waller would throw Sangha into the ring. Waller would then hit his rolling stunner on Sangha for the win. So Grayson Waller snakes out another win. But, again, this is Grayson Waller's world in NXT. NXT is perfect for Grayson Waller. He's the most hated guy in NXT. And, personally, I feel that Grayson Waller is literally Miz, like, reincarnated if the Miz were to debut today in this society, taking over uh, social media and beating up somebody that was so popular and then taking all the heat and fans' hatred this is literally the Miz if Miz were to debut now, and Grayson Waller knows how to work with it, and I'm happy for the guy. 
Uh, after this, we would get a backstage interview with Roxanne Perez, formerly Roxy, uh, former Ring of Honor Women's Champion who has been signed to WWE. She would mention that she can't believe that she will be debuting next week here on NXT, and she's just overjoyed and happy. Toxic Attraction would inject themselves into this interview, and Mandy would give Perez some advice. She tells uh, Roxanne, don't set your bar so high because you'll never make it. Uh, Roxanne says thanks with hesitations, and then you see Gigi Dolan come from the side and says, I think Perez has an attitude here. Then you see JC pop out from the side and says that she wants to speed up Perez's uh, debut. Instead of her debuting next week, how about you debut tonight? Roxanne walks away, but then she says as she's walking away, she'll figure something out. And now we got her match later tonight. Instead of it debuting next week, she's going to debut tonight against JC Jane. After this, we will have Legado del Fantasma with Santos Escobar and Electra Lopez in their corner going against Grizzly Young Veterans. Legato would win the match by pinfall when they hit their tag finisher, the leg sweep, and the running insecurity on James Drake for the win. After the match, Santos Escobar would get in the ring and call out Carmelo Hayes and tell Tony D'Angelo to watch carefully and see how a boss handles business. So we have that match next of Santos going against Carmelo Hayes with Trick Williams in his corner. Carmelo will win the match by pinfall and some help from two guys in the suit. Towards the end of the match, Carmelo was on the outside of the ring, and Santos hits a suicide dive on Carmelo. Santos would throw Carmelo into the ring, and Trick Williams would distract the referee by sliding a steel chair into the ring. So now, as the referee is distracted, we see two guys show up, one on one side of Santos, another guy popping up from the uh, crowd, jumping the barricade with a crowbar in his hand, and he ends up hitting Santos in the back of one of his legs. So you see this happen, and you see both of the guys throw Santos into the ring. This allows Carmella to hit his diving leg drop on the back of Santos' head, cover him for the win. After the match, Carmella lets everyone know that in two weeks at spring break-in, it will be him challenging Cameron Grimes for the North American Championship. Cameron Grimes will come out and accept the challenge and tell Carmella and Trake that they need to turn around. Once they turn around, you see Solo Sokoa in the ring, and he so super kicks Trick, and then hits a pop-up Samoan drop on Carmelo, and then you see Solo get in the face of Cameron Grimes and let him know that he got next. And later in the night, it will be announced that at spring break-in for the North American Championship, it will be a triple threat match. Solo Sokoa going against Carmelo Hayes going against Cameron Grimes for the North American Championship. After this, we will have Natalia going against Tatum Paxley. Natalia will win the match by submission when she locked in the sharpshooter for the win. Later in the night, you'll see Natalia have a backstage interview, and she mentions how women from NXT will come up to Raw and SmackDown and look for her and try to cut the legs from underneath her so Natalia's uh, career wouldn't continue on on the main roster. So Natalia's here in NXT to stop that from happening, and the re- that's the reason why she attacked Core Jade. From the distance, you will hear somebody shout out, Natalia. Then you will see Nikita Lyons walk up on Natalia and let her know that next week, after she gets done taking care of Last Legend, she's coming from Natalia. Natalia is up for it, so that's more than likely what you're going to be seeing in another two weeks, more or less probably at NXT spring breaking as well. Also, during NXT, you would see Roderick Strong in the Diamond Mines uh, 
training facility with Malcolm Bivens, and you hear Malcolm Bivens on the phone with, I believe, Ivy Nile, and Ivy Nile's upset that she's over in the UK. Roddy says that you need to be over there to dominate. And then Malcolm Bivens looks annoyed that Roddy's even talking. So this is showing you that there's some dissension between uh, Roddy and Malcolm, but Roddy's being... uh, He's being naivete to this because he walks up to Malcolm Bivens and says, hey, man, I know things hasn't been going well, but everything's going to be good because you want to know why? I'm the leader of Diamond Mind, and I'm going to start holding people accountable. And what that means is that I have a vision for Diamond Mind, and whoever doesn't follow that vision, they're the enemy. Malcolm Bivens isn't here for this. He ain't trying to hear this, but he lets Roddy do his thing, and he just looks annoyed at this. So this is showing you that there's going to be a split between Diamond Mind. And if my bet, if I had to bet money on this, to be honest with you, and I say the Creed Brothers more or less going to be riding with Roderick Strong on this one, to be honest. And the reason why I say this is because the fans love the Creed Brothers right now. And for the Creed Brothers to be turning on Roddy, who the fans respect Roddy, that's going to be weird because that just turns them back to being a bad guy team. And right now, the Creed Brothers are in like a situation with Pretty Deadly. So, it just sets off a weird precedence. I want to see how they're going to do this Diamond Mind split. It's uh, real interesting to me. Anyway, after this, we would get Zion Quinn going against Wesley. Zion would win the match by pinfall when Zion would hit a standing forearm on Wes and then a running forearm on him for the win. Wesley talked about it before the beginning of this match. Well, backstage earlier in the night, how he's been having a rough couple of weeks. He doesn't give detail, but if you've been take, paying attention to what's going on, you know that his Carter, uh, Nash Carter, was tag partner, got released, so they don't say it on there, but they just mentioned how Wes had to forfeit the tag titles, not of his own volition, not that anything that he had to do with it, but now he's out here and he has to come out here and do his single stuff, so it tells me that NXT's, uh, vision for Wesley is to be a singles competitor. I want to see how they do this with him. I'm really interested in it. I thought he was going to win tonight, but that was not the case. After this, we had the debut, the NAC debut of Roxanne Perez going against JC Jane, who had toxic attraction in her corner. Perez will win the match by pinfall thanks to a distraction from Wendy Chu. When JC was in control of the match, we would see video of Wendy on the Titan Tron as she is in the Toxic Lounge. And she shows the modifications that she made to the lounge. And basically, she destroyed it. This allowed Perez to hit the code red on JC for the win. So, Roxanne has a win. And she's starting off on a good foot on NXT. I'm happy to see her. I was happy to see her vignette and see her in the ring. Because seeing somebody accomplish their dreams, their goals that they set out, is always a... is always influencing one and is always uh, very, very... It makes me happy. It makes me happy to see that, to be honest with you. Uh, anyway, time for the main event. The NXT Tag Team Championship matchup. Pretty Deadly defending the titles against Dexter Loomis and Duke Hudson, who had Persia and Indy Hartwell in their corners. The reason how this match got made was because early in the night, you had Pretty Deadly walking around backstage. You saw Persia, Parada, and Indy walk up to Pretty Deadly and basically kind of flirt with them, and Pretty Deadly said that they would give them anything that they want, and they said tag team title matchup, and they said okay, and then you saw Dexter and Duke walk up on it, so that's how the reason why we got this match right here. 
Pretty Deadly would win the match by pinfall when Elton Prince would hit a big boot on Duke Hudson and cover him for the win. This was a good match for Pretty Deadly. Again, this is still new footing for them on NXT in America, so people are not all the way used to them. I'm not all the way used to their uh, matches yet. I got to watch some old stuff from them in NXT UK. I haven't done that yet. I just usually be watching their promos. Again, entertaining lads that you got here. Um, but still good. Dexter Loomis and Duke Hudson, they're going to try to run this thing as a tag team. They had a good showing here, but they got a couple kinks to work out, obviously. But good matchup. After the match, you will see the lights go out, and you see Joe Gacy pop up on a podium and call out Braun Breaker. Braun Breaker will come out and meet Gacy at the podium. Gacy tells Braun that he will return his father's Hall of Fame ring, and all he wants to return is an NXT title match at spring breaking. Braun agrees, and Gacy gives Braun him uh, the Hall of Fame ring. Braun gets the Hall of Fame ring. Gacy tells Braun, okay, now that you got the ring, there's only one thing left for you to do, and that's to leap with faith. Braun gets pushed off the podium, and then we hear a big bang sound, and then we see Braun on the ground, surrounded by people in a black cloak. We see audio, well not audio, but video of Gacy on the podium as the people in the black cloak are surrounding Braun Breaker, and it looks like they're just absorbing Braun as you can hear Braun's like screaming, yelling. So we don't know what's going to happen. Next week, we're probably going to see some type of thing of them like chaining up Braun Breaker somewhere in NXT. That's where I think we're headed with this, but obviously we know we're going to get Gacy going against Braun Breaker at spring break-in in two weeks. Uh, I see Braun winning that match. If not, that's really, really crazy, but I doubt we're going to deviate from Braun losing the NXT title. But anyway, NXT, great night, great show. Now off to AEW Dynamite. Before I get to Dynamite's uh, results, let me read off Battle of the Belts. On Saturday, you had Jonathan Gresham going against Dalton Castle. Jonathan Gresham would win the match when he applied Octopus Stretch on Dalton Castle to retain his championship. You had Scorpio Sky going against Sammy Guevara for the TNT title. Sammy Guevara would win the TNT title when he hit the low blow, then the GTH on Scorpio Sky to win the TNT title, making him a three-time and the first ever three-time TNT champion. Uh, this is slowly turning Sammy Guevara into that obnoxious guy, which we would get into on AEW Dynamite. And then in the main event of Battle of the Belts, it was Thunder Rosa putting up her AEW Women's Championship against Nyla Rose. Thunder Rosa would win the championship, well, retain her championship and win the match by hitting Nyla Rose with a Hurricane Rana to retain her AEW Women's Championship. Battle of the Belts was all right. I mean, it was an all right show. It wasn't like something like really too like hype yourself about. The only thing to really pop off was that after Jonathan Gresham and Dalton's match, you had uh, Jay Lethal, Sanjay Dutt, and their big guy come out, and they tried to beat up on Gresham, but Samoa Joe came out with the Ring of Honor television title and a steel pipe to run off Jay Lethal, Dutt, and the big man. So you can tell where this is headed still. But that was Battle of the Belts. Now on to AEW Dynamite. Dynamite would start off with CM Punk going against Dustin Rhodes. Punk would win the match by pinfall when Punk tried to hit the GTS on Rhodes, but his back gave out, and Dustin tried to roll him up. But Punk reversed it, sat on Rhodes, covered his legs, and pinned Dustin that way. After the match, you had Punk and Dustin shake hands, hug each other, embrace after a old-school slow pace match that these two had. Punk will leave the ring, start walking up the ramp, 
and Hangman Page music hits, he comes out, he comes face-to-face with Punk, and the fans were cheering for this, as we all know where this is indicated next. More or less, Hangman's going to go against Punk somewhere down the line, probably a double or nothing if I was the best bet on this. After this, we had a six-man tag team match at the Blackpool Combat Club going against Lee Moriarty, Dante Martin, and Brock Anderson with Arn Anderson in their corner. Moxley would get the win for his team by pinfall when he hits the paradigm shift on Dante Martin for the win. After this, we had a backstage interview, well, backstage segment with the Undisputed Elite, Adam Cole, the Young Bucks, Bobby Fish, all felt down and out, and Kyle O'Reilly tried to pick their spirits up. Kyle mentioned how all of them have lost recently, Adam Cole to Adam Page on Rampage, the Young Bucks to FTR. Uh, a couple weeks ago, and Red Dragon last week to Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. And Kyle says, you know what? The only thing we need to do is snap out of this because we're better than this. And that starts tonight when I beat Jungle Boy and qualify for the Owen Hart tournament. Adam tells Kyle that he's right and insists that they have a 10-man tag match next week so everyone can get themselves together. Adam looks at the Bucks and tells them that all your friends have left and I'm still here. So next week... We need to do this 10-man match. We need to come together. We need to come as the betterment of the group because we are the best people in this company. We're the best people in this industry. And Adam would tell them, hey, just go over and think about it, right? Adam would then say, hey, I got to go take care of something. And then he would dip off and leave. Then we see Tony Schiavone on the stage with Tony Khan. And he mentioned how Tony Khan has a big announcement Tony Khan will bring out the president of New Japan. And before Tony Khan could even say anything more, you will see Adam Cole pop up on the big screen and announce that on June 26th, there will be an event called the Forbidden Door. And it's a co-event with New Japan and AEW, both uh, being the guys like showcasing this event, if you will. And Cole mentioned how it will be the best New Japan and the best AEW on this show. And Cole mentioned that this uh, partnership will first start off this week on Rampage where I will go against Ishii on, in a Owen Hart tournament qualifying matchup. And he talks about how a double or nothing, it will be one member, well, it will be the undisputedly basically taking over and winning the Owen Hart uh, tournament. Jay White would then walk out on the stage, take the mic away from Tony Khan, and Jay White makes it clear that this event isn't about New Japan or AEW. It's about the undisputed elite and Bullet Club because it's still their era. So this tells you that Bullet Club and Undisputed Elite are together. So I can see a big cohesion or a big blow at this Forbidden Door uh, event. But I'll save that more until I'll say that until the end of this uh, whole thing when I get done talking about AEW and Rampage. Then I'll get more into what I think is going to happen at Forbidden Door. And this is only but speculation. But trust me, I think I'm on the right path on this one. Uh, anyway, it was announced that next week on AEW will be a 10-man tag, the Undisputed Elite going against the Varsity Blondes, Lee Moriarty, Dante Martin, and Brock Anderson. After this, we will have Warlow going against The Butcher, MGF and Sean Spears would watch the match in the Skybox in the arena. MGF would have Warlow come out to no music, and he's handcuffed with security surrounding him. Warlow would win the match by pinfall when he hits the Butcher with four power bombs in a row, then covers him for the win. After the match, Warlow was then cuffed again and escorted out of the building. Then later in the program, you will see MGF hand uh, Jake 
Roberts an envelope full of money, so Lance Archer is going to be going against Warlow next week on Dynamite. After this, we will have our Owen Hart Foundation Tournament qualifying matchup in the men's division. It will be Jungle Boy going against Kyle O'Reilly. Kyle O'Reilly would win the match by pinfall when he hits a diving knee on Jungle Boy for the win. And I'm telling you right now, Jungle Boy and Kyle O'Reilly had a good match, but I knew Kyle O'Reilly was going to win because Kyle O'Reilly is a tournament-style wrestler. Yes, you can work in the tag team division. He can work in the singles division, but he's more of a tournament-style wrestler in my book. And Jungle Boy just doesn't seem that guy yet. They're building him up, but he's just not there yet. Just let him get in another, another couple more years, and Jungle Boy will be there. But Kyle O'Reilly is prime, ready for the tournament. So right now in the men's division, they only got Samoa Joe and Kyle O'Reilly in that tournament. And please, for the love of God, give me Kyle O'Reilly versus Samoa Joe in the Owen Hart tournament. That's what I want to see. Um, after this, we will have Hook going against Anthony Henry. This is Hook's Dynamite debut. Hook would win the match by submission when he locks in the red rum and Henry submits. During the match, Dan Housel would try to uh, pop out and try to curse Hook, but Hook doesn't get phased by this. So after the match, you see Dan Housel get in the ring and gets a mic and tells Hook that since he doesn't want to be cursed by Dan Housel, he will fight Dan Housel, and Dan Housel will poke his finger at Hook's chest, and Hook would just laugh at it and then walk away out of the ring and up the ramp. So, Dan House and the Hook are going to have a match. I'm not sure if it's going to be on next week's Dynamite or next week's Rampage, but that's where it seems that's where we're headed here. Uh, after this, we will have Kazarian in a backstage interview. Kazarian mentions that he wants to face Sammy Guevara for the TNT Championship, but before he can go out there and make the challenge official, Scorpio Sky walks up to Kazarian and tells him that, hey, man, listen, I know you for some odd years. I wouldn't have the success that I have if it wasn't for you. And listen, I know you want to go after the TNT title, but I got to do this. I got to go face Sammy. I got to have that TNT title back. And listen, once I win it back, you'll get the first shot. Kazarian tells Scorpio, listen, I know how much the TNT title means to you. Fine, I'll hang back. You're my brother. All right. So they do their whole little handshake. Scorpio walks away. Now we go to Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti in the ring. The fans are booing Sammy. Sammy is... Basically not phased by this booze. You see Ty Conti playing it up. Sammy Guevara just hears it, but he still has that pompous like smile and still sticking his tongue out attitude and mentality. Sammy lets the people know that the, he will continue to fight for the people that have supported him and Ty throughout this whole thing. And the rest of the people that boo him, the only thing they can do about this is be mad, more or less because Sammy has a hotter girlfriend than they do. That's what Sammy uh, said to the fans. The fans continue to boom. Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky, Dan Lambert will come out. Scorpio tells Sammy that the feeling in this ring right now and in this room right now isn't screw the fans. It's screw you, Sammy. Dan Lambert will tell Sammy that Sammy has two choices. Either give Scorpio Sky his rematch for the TNT title or be pounded out by the men of the year. Sammy agrees to the match with Scorpio Sky easily, but he says in returns he was a mixed tag team matchup with Paige Van Zandt. Dan Lamberg and Scorpio agrees to this. Sammy would let Scorpio know that next week in their rematch, it will be a ladder match for the TNT title. I'm telling you right now, Sammy Guevara and Ty Conti need, need to do the edge and lead a situation. I'm not saying everybody needs to call Ty a slut or anything like that. No, you can modernize it PG, not PG because AEW isn't PG, but you can modernize it. You don't have to slut shame uh, Ty Conti because 
that's not that's not needed for this situation. You can create the rated R situation with Sammy and Ty since they like to tongue kiss in the mouth and show all this affection that people are not liking the whole PDA out here. You can continuously have them do that, have Sammy win by uh, dirty tactics and just have him on the on the path of the edge rated R 2005 situation that edge was on. But again, that's just my opinion why I think they should go with Sammy Guevara, but We'll see what AEW does. If AEW does happen to do that, I'll be glad for it. After this, we will have the Owen Hart Foundation Tournament Qualifying Matchup in the Females Division. It will be Danielle Camilla, formerly known as Vanessa Bourne in WWE, going against Britt Baker, who had two members of the Pittsburgh Steelers in her corner. Britt would win the match by submission when Britt would hit the curb stomp, and they'd get a football glove from one of the Pittsburgh Steelers football players and lock in the lockjaw on Bourne and then uh, Daniel Camilla would tap out after the match. Brick would get a mic, run down the female competitors in the Owen Hart uh, Foundation tournament, except for Jamie Hader, and that's it. After this, we will have the main event of AEW Dynamite casket matchup: Andrade El Idolo going against Darby Allen. On the inside of the casket lid had thumbtacks basically like stuck to it, so that played a big portion of the match towards the end of it. You had Mark Quinn, The Blade, and Sting get involved in the early parts of the matchup when they were fighting the crowd, and then Sting would do something that no man of his age should do. He jumped off of, like, one of the, I'm not going to say beams of this building, because that wasn't it. He jumped off one of the, like, the steps, but, like, a balcony, if you will, but not a high balcony. Not, like, that type of deal. But he jumped off of that onto Mark Quinn, uh, the Blade, Andrade, and Darby so they can catch him, but that's still something that Sting shouldn't do, but that's one big highlight of this matchup, but towards the end of the match, uh, Darby would have Andrade in the casket when he hit a suicide dive on Andrade, and Andrade would land inside the casket. Andrade would try to hold the casket up, well, casket lit up, but Darby would constantly try to put force on the lid to slam it. Then you would see Jose, Andrade's handler, come out, and Jose would try to attack Darby he does it he puts Darby in between his legs to try to lift him up Darby would send Jose over his body by reversing it flipping him over and Jose would land on the casket lid that has thumbtacks on it so that would take Jose out of the equation then you see Darby grab the casket lid slam it repeatedly on Andrade's back then shut it and lay on top of it so the referee could uh count the fall and that's the end. Darby Allen would shut the lid on Andrade to win this casket match. And it was announced also that next week on AEW Dynamite, it will be Hikaru Shida going against Serena Deed in a Philly Street fight, as well as another men's Owen Hart tournament qualifying matchup of FTR going against one another. So you have Dax Hardwood going against Cash Wheeler. That's going to be a good match because both of them are old school wrestlers. Both of them are guys that love professional wrestling that study it to a T, so I expect a good match between both of these guys, and more or less, we're probably going to have some shenanigans in it where people try to interfere in it, and then probably one member of FTR probably take advantage of it, and FTR is probably going to hug after that, but AEW Dynamite, good show, I highly was entertained with it this week, especially with the announcement of the Forbidden Door, but again, I'll get more to that before the end of this program is done. Now onto Impact Wrestling. This is the final Impact Wrestling until their uh, pay-per-view of Rebellion, which is tonight. 
Impact will open up with a tag team matchup of Violence by Design, which is Eric Young and Diener with Joe Doring in their corner going against Decay, a Black Taurus and Crazy Steve. Violence by Design would win the match by pinfall and dirty tactics when Joe Doring took out Black Taurus on the outside of the ring. And while the referee was busy with Joe Doring, Eric Young would come in the ring, break the Violence by Design flagpole on the back of Crazy Steve, and this will allow Diener to hit a Diener DDT on Steve cover him for the win. After this, we will have a in-ring statement with the major players, which is Matt Cardona and Brian Myers, with Chelsea Green as well in the ring. Matt Cardona mentions that he's been winning championships uh, worldwide, but now he has an itch that needs to be scratched, and he wants to win the Impact Tag Team Championships. Brian Myers mentions that him and Cardona haven't been on the best standing and footing since they've been in Impact Wrestling but that has all come and changed. They're both in the best versions of themselves, and they come together to take over Impact Wrestling. Chelsea Green would then get the mic and say that they are the strongest unit in professional wrestling, and Chelsea would even big herself up by mentioning that she was the only woman to take out Mickey James. Cardona would mention how you won't see Morrissey again after they put Morrissey through a table last week. You get the fans booing Cardona and Myers, and then you will hear... Music from Guido and Tony Mameluke. Guido is Little Guido or Nunzio, if you know him in WWE. Uh, they will come down to the ring and interrupt them. Guido tells Matt to don't ever disrespect the ECW arena and the people that paved the way for you. Guido would then call the major players the major sissies and call Chelsea Green a major idiot. Cardona would tell Guido that he hasn't been relevant, him and Tony Mameluke, haven't been relevant since ECW died 20 years ago. That's when Tony Mameluke and Guido attacked both Myers and Cardona and sent them out of the ring. Guido would then challenge Matt Cardona to a match for the Digital Media Championship, and that's where we're at right now. They have their match. Cardona would win the match by pinfall and dirty tactics when Guido was looking to hit the kiss of death, which is the kill switch or the unprettier and more common wrestling uh, terms because that's what Christian used to uh, call his move before he switched to the Unprettier. Uh, Brian Myers would get on the ring apron and distract the referee. This will allow Cardona to hit a low blow on Guido, then hit the radio silence for the win to retain his digital media championship. After the match, Tony Mamalu came in the ring to look after Guido, and as he was doing so, Brian Myers came in, grabbed Tony Mamalu, put him in the corner, and started choking him out, put his knee towards his neck, and Cardona would tell Chelsea Green to stomp on Guido to keep him down. You will see Cardona get outside the ring, go underneath the ring, and grab a table out. Cardona would then have Myers help him bring the table in the ring, set it up in the corner, and you would then see Myers hold Mamaluka as Cardona was about to do something to Guido to put, probably put him through the table. But W. Morrissey comes running out running towards the ring, get into the ring, and beating up both Cardona and Myers. Morrissey would then have Myers in a chokehold looking to choke slam him, but Chelsea Green would come behind Morrissey and hit him with a low blow. Myers would then put Morrissey in between his legs, and he looks like he's about to try to powerbomb him or anything. He didn't lift him up because Jordan Grace would come running to the ring, attack Myers, and put Myers down. Jordan Grace would then attack Chelsea Green as well, and as she was doing this, Matt Cardona would grab Jordan Grace by the hair, but Grace would back elbow Cardona in the face. Jordan Grace would then tell Morrissey to get up and choke slam Cardona through the table, which he does. And that 
since well the major players out of the ring after that. You would then see Morrissey, Grace hold up, well, help up Tony Mamaluk and Little Guido, and then they will stand in the ring so the fans can cheer for that. After this, we will have Shira with Raj Singh in his corner going against a guy named Gabriel Rodriguez. Shira would win the match quickly when he hits the sky high on Gabriel for the win. This was a just a squash, like a quick three-minute situation. After this, we will have our eight-man tag match. Honor No More going against Bullet Club. Bullet Club will win the match by pinfall when Giles and Anderson would hit the magic killer on Mike Bennett for the win. Good eight-man tag match. You had a first time inside a first time. This was Honor No More going against Bullet Club, the first time a match ever happening. And also, you had Kenny King going against Chris Bay in that matchup. And also, this was their first time ever locking up, even though Kenny King trained Chris Bay. They do mention that on commentary, so that was a nice little uh, wrinkle in the story that you were able to see in that, because you could see Chris Bay taunting Kenny King by mentioning, is it the student versus the teacher, or is it the teacher versus the student? So you've got that happening. you got uh, the stories of Gals and Anderson going after Bennett and Taven for screwing them in their matchup against uh, Violence by Design. So this eight-man tag had a whole lot of flowing and a whole lot of stories going in. I will suggest you really watching this one. It was a great eight-man tag match. You will be entertained by it. After this, you had a tag team matchup after this. Ace Austin and Mike Bailey going against Trey Miguel and Laredo Kid. Trey Miguel would win the match for his team by pinfall when Ace Austin was looking to hit the fold on Trey Miguel, but Ace would get caught by Trey in his mid-movement, and Trey would pin Ace Austin for the win. After the match, Ace would attack Trey with a back suplex, stomp on him a little bit, call Mike Bailey in. Trey would be held up by Ace so Bailey could hit him, but Mike Bailey would hold his martial arts stance and kick Ace square in his head. And I mean, you heard that sound ring off, and I mean, it was a nice, solid thought. Like, like, it just hit a nice, solid ring off when he kicked Ace directly in the square of his head and just knocked him out. And then Ace falls down. Trey Miguel's on the ground. You see Mike Bailey's stance hit a pose, like a Chinese like bowing pose, and then he just walks out of the ring. So this gives you more context for their matchup that they're going to have tonight at Rebellion for the X Division Championship, where it is a triple threat, each man for themselves. After this, we will have our main event segment. It is Moose coming out to the ring with his lawyers, and he has the front of the ring, uh, surrounded by security guards, so he can deliver an apology to Josh Alexander and his family. Uh, Scott Demore was out there because Scott wanted to see Moose apologize. Moose had his lawyers read a letter stating that Moose's actions as a champion has been unconscionable, and he shouldn't have done this to Josh Alexander and his family. Moose stops his lawyer from reading the letter further and tells his lawyer that, you know what, this apology isn't sincere enough and he hands his title off to his lawyer tells him to move away and looks directly into the camera and tells josh that he's sorry moose says that he's sorry for exposing josh for not protecting his wife that he should have done being a role model for his children and not beating him up more at bound for glory in front of his wife and his children Moose will continue to say that he isn't sorry for what he's about to do to Josh at Rebellion because he plans on sending Josh back home broken and to beg Moose 
to come to his home and show Josh's wife and his children what a real man looks like. And Moose continues to say more things to rally up Josh Alexander because you know what's about to happen. Josh Alexander comes out. He comes out to the ring and he destroys three security guards before Scott DeMore steps to Josh Alexander and tells the rest of the security guards to move out of the way so Josh could go into the ring and meet Moose face-to-face. Josh and Moose would get face-to-face, and they would start fighting in the ring, and at one point, you see Moose throw his lawyer in front of him so Josh could get distracted, and then Moose would get the better of this when he starts punching at Josh and then even slams Josh with a urinagi. Moose would then hit another urinagi on Josh, then go outside of the ring, go to the timekeeper's table, clear off the table, and then bring that table close to the ring. Josh was locked out at this moment, and then Moose was looking to get Josh over to the ring apron and slam him through the table, but that would change when Josh would fight out of this uh, position and ultimately put Moose through the table when he hits the C4 spike off the ring apron through the table. He would then get Josh holding up the world title and standing over Moose, then lay the title on Moose, then walking away. That could be a clear representation of Josh Alexander saying, I'm going to beat you at Rebellion, and this title is going to be mine. But for tonight, this is going to be the last time you're holding that belt. So we're going to see how that happens at Rebellion tonight. More or less next week on Wrestling Highlights of the Week, I'll give you, uh, I'll tell you what happened. But Impact Wrestling, good show. Not a bad way to end off for their show to lead into uh, Rebellion tonight. Now, on to SmackDown. SmackDown will open up with a SmackDown Women's Championship contract signing between Ronda Rousey and the champion Charlotte Flair. Drew Gulak would bring the contract down to the ring because he's like, auditioning to be uh, Adam Pearce's assistant. And I could see where they're probably headed with this with Drew Gulak probably taking Sonya Deville's job. Just, I can see where they're probably headed with this. Anyway, Drew Gulak will be so excited to be bringing the contract down. He will want to show Ronda a PowerPoint presentation of the rules of an I quit match. Charlotte would stop Drew and tell him to shut up. Charlotte would mention to Ronda that she lost at WrestleMania. And Charlotte would then tell Ronda the rules of an I quit match, stating that there are no rules. The only thing that matters in that matchup is to make your opponent say I quit. Charlotte would mention that she has a list of moves that can make Ronda tap out. She will list the figure four, the figure eight, and then Charlotte will say, but that's predictable. It says she's going to deliver an old-fashioned beatdown and make Ronda say, I quit. Charlotte would then sign the contract, and then we would have Ronda Rousey's rebuttal. This time, no ref is going to pull me off of you. No ref is going to save you and tell you it's over. No. You are going to say, I am better than you. You are going to abandon your baby, the SmackDown title, and you will be spared no humiliation when you say, I quit. After Ronda says this, she goes to grab the contract and sign it, but Charlotte will flip the table over, exposing a kendo stick underneath the table, grabbing it, and proceeds to hit Ronda with the kendo stick. But Ronda would feel nothing from that kendo stick. She would actually grab the kendo stick and proceed to hit Charlotte with it. Drew Gulak would step in between the ladies, grab Ronda, and this would allow Charlotte to get out of the ring and walk up the ramp. Ronda would then hit Piper's Pit on Drew Gulak. Then, before she applied the armbar, she would grab the contract. Drew Gulak would then give her a pin, and then she would apply the armbar on Drew Gulak 
and sign the contract at the same time. So this is now making their I Quit match at WrestleMania Backlash official. And it was announced that next week, Charlotte and Ronda Rousey will be competing in an I Quit Beat the Clock Challenge matchup, meaning that each lady will be participating more or less in an I Quit match next week against random ladies. And the quickest person to make their opponent say I Quit will basically win the challenge. After this, we will have Xavier Woods with Kofi Kingston going against Butch, who has Sheamus and Rich Holland in his corner. This is a rematch from last week, and again, the same results will occur. Woods would win the match by pinfall when he hits the back Woods, which is a roll-up on Butch for the win. After the match, Woods and Kingston would walk up the ramp. Woods would taunt Butch as Butch is now in the ring and he is sauntering and he's just staring at Woods and you can tell he's getting more and more upset. Sheamus and Ridge would get in the ring. They would try to calm Butch down, but to no avail, Butch would push both of them and then walk out of the ring, jump over the barricade, grab the security guard, throw him out, throw him over the barricade on the floor, and then walk through the crowd, and he would just act like a spoiled child yet again. Even Michael Cole said that Butch is acting like a spoiled child. Again, I don't like the name Butch, but it is starting to grow, so let's see what they'll do. Hopefully, after this whole Butch thing will be ending, he'll turn his name back to Dunn or Pete Dunn. Either way, that's what happened after this. After this, we will have a backstage situation where Ricochet is talking to Aaliyah. Aaliyah talks about how Ricochet has been an impressive intercontinental champion, beating Jinder Mahal, beating Angel Garza and Humberto, and beating Sami Zayn. And then you will see uh, Jinder Mahal and Shanky walk up behind Ricochet. Jinder would say that Ricochet isn't a true champion. He's a chicken. He's running away from challenges. Ricochet said, I'm not running away from challenges, and I'll fight anybody. Shanky will walk up to Ricochet and say, how about me? So we will get our matchup next week for the Intercontinental title, Ricochet going against Shanky. After this, we will have Gunther with Ludwig Kaiser in his corner going against uh, Teddy Goods. It's a local talent guy, and Gunther would beat the crap out of him, and he will beat him when he has a powerbomb, and powerbomb Goods cover him for the win. So Gunther wins the match. After this, we will have Riddle with Randy Orton in his corner going against Jay Uso, who has Jimmy Uso in his corner. And as this match would proceed, we would get a backstage video of Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman watching the matchup in Roman's locker room. Riddle would win the match by pinfall when Jay would go for the Uso splash and Riddle would get his knees up. Jay would hit the knees. This would allow Riddle to roll up Jay for the win. This would make Riddle's second win over the bloodline in two weeks. And if we're going by what I think we're going by, I think RK Bros more or less probably going to lose the titles to the Usos at WrestleMania Backlash. And this could set up for Riddle to face Roman Reigns down the line for the undisputed uh, Universal Championships. That's at least where I think this could be leading to because you don't give Riddle this many wins and then you're not going to give him a chance to go against Roman Reigns down the line. They even commentated on commentary. They were heavy implying that he has beaten the bloodline two weeks in a row. This can't be good. Uh, Roman Reigns wasn't happy looking at it in the back, in the locker room area. So this tells you that they're setting up for something in the future. Roman Reigns versus Riddle in the future. I'm cool with that. And also Riddle had a good match both with Jimmy Uso last week. And he had a good match with Jay Uso this week. 
After this, you would get Sasha Banks and Naomi coming out to the ring for their in-ring promo. The gist of it was they're here to thank the fans and they're here to thank each other because they didn't get to do this after WrestleMania because they are still the women tag champions. And Sasha mentioned how they have no more competition because they took care of Carmella and Selena Vega and that team imploded. They took care of Liv Morgan and Rhea Ripley. That team imploded this week on Raw. And then you will see... Natalia and Shayna Baszler come out. Natalia mentioned how they were the only team in that match at Mania that didn't get beat. Sasha mentions, yeah, I forgot about you guys because we were too busy winning the tag titles at Mania. Shayna Baszler would tell both Naomi and Sasha that they can continue to have their fun, but once her and Natalia get in the ring and snap their bones, they're going to take the championships away from Naomi and Sasha, and then she will proceed to push Sasha Banks to the ground. Naomi will have to hold Sasha back. They will hold up their tag team championships, and they say they're ready to do this anytime. There's no confirmation when this will happen, but best money, probably WrestleMania Backlash. Since Natalia is still in NXT doing that type of business, so I don't think we'll get more eyes on the NXT product if they were to do this at WrestleMania Backlash, and Cora Jade probably cost Natalia the matchup for this. That's just my recommendation. After this, we would get Madcap Moss going against Angel, who had Humberto in his corner. Madcap would win the match by pinfall when he hits the punchline, which is a neckbreaker on Angel for the win. After the match, Happy Corbin would run into the ring and attack Madcap Moss from behind and lane him out with the end of days. He does this because before their match began in the backstage uh, segment, you saw Madcap uh, getting himself together. He was doing a routine uh to loosen himself up you saw happy corbin walk up to madcap he said okay listen you proved your point you learned under the mentorship and you got a win last week we said both we said things about each other how about you now come back to my side madcap says not has not happening so that will lead to happy corbin coming out here and basically beating up madcap happy corbin would walk away with the Andre the Giant trophy and walking away with it as Moss was looking at Corbin doing this. So this is more or less going to probably be based around Madcap beating Corbin to win back that trophy. Again, another WrestleMania backlash match. I can see them putting that on. After this, we would see Sami Zayn go up to Roman Reigns' locker room and basically rat on Drew McIntyre and RK-Bro talking about how Sami's heard people talking smack about Roman Reigns and his family and disrespecting Roman in general because Drew did mention to RK bro that anybody that steps up and doesn't take any of this bloodline garbage you got no beef with me so Sammy will mention that to Roman and he talks about how he has a match against Drew McIntyre and that he might need some assistance against Drew McIntyre tonight Sammy will tell Roman that he will be a great ally to have at his side just if he needs it. So Sammy would then walk away and then you would get Roman telling the Usos. So we got people on my show running their mouth about me. Take my name out their mouths. So after Roman gives them their marching orders, we will again go to the Lumberjack matchup of Drew McIntyre going against Sami Zayn. You would get the Usos coming out there and they would take uh, Roman's message to heart because they do super kick RK bro in the mouth and this will lead to chaos ensuing with the rest of the Lumberjacks towards the end of the matchup. 
Uh, this would allow Sammy to weasel his way out of the ring and escape through the crowd as he's been doing for these past two weeks. This would mean there will be no winner for this match, so this will be end up being a no contest. Adam Pearce will come out and let Sammy know that next week he won't be able to run away from Drew and escape like the weasel that he's been doing because he will be facing Drew McIntyre inside a steel cage. So then you would have Jinder Mahal and Shanky attacking Drew McIntyre from behind, but Drew would get the better of the men and hit a Claymore kick on Jinder Mahal to end SmackDown and send the people home happy. It was a good episode of SmackDown and is also laying down the bricks for future stories with uh, Sammy more or less probably going to have to pay back Roman Reigns somehow because Roman's going to remind him of this. And also uh, Riddle more or less probably going to get her match with Roman down the line and also the I quit uh, beat the clock challenge that's happening next week again this is setting up for uh, more Ronda Rousey time on WWE programming so I'm not mad at that at all Smackdown good show it was a great uh, way to lay the foundation for the future now to AEW Rampage Rampage will open up with a Owen Hart tournament qualifying matchup in the men's division with Adam Cole going against Tomohiro Ishii with Rocky Romero and Orange Cassidy in Ishii's corner, Adam Wood win the ma- match by pinfall and with some assists from Jay White because towards the end of the match when Ishii was looking to hit a brain buster on Adam Cole, Jay White would run down to the ring and shove Rocky into the ring steps. Orange Cassidy would start following Jay White up the ramp and the referee was looking at Rocky and this will allow Adam Cole to hit Ishii with a low blow and then deliver the boom again, which is a running knee behind the head for the win. So Adam Cole has advanced inside the tournament. So now he has been uh, aligned with Kyle O'Reilly and Samoa Joe and himself. Those are only three men that have been assigned to this tournament. Remember, on next week's episode of Dynamite, it will be FTR going against each other. So we will either see Dax or Cash also being aligned in the tournament. So far right now, these three men are... God tier in Ring of Honor because they are all former Ring of Honor World Champions. So this tournament is already must see. After this, we would get Lance Archer going against Serpentico. This is a complete squash, a complete uh, quick matchup. Lance Archer would win the match by pinfall when he hits with a blackout on Serpentico for the win. And then after the match, Archer would hit two more choke slams on Serpentico and call it a day. And as he was doing the choke slams, he hits one and then he does the symphony, like, uh, arm wave, the same thing that Warlow would do before he delivers another powerbomb to taunt Warlow, because again, Lance Archer has to face Warlow at this upcoming week's uh, AEW Dynamite. After this, we would get Daniel Garcia going against Eddie Kingston. The stipulation for this matchup was members from each side, that means Jericho Appreciation Society members were not allowed at ringside, and Proud and Powerful were not allowed at ringside. So it was a straight one-on-one matchup between Daniel Garcia and Eddie Kingston. Kingston would win the match by pinfall when he has a back drop suplex and then the spinning back fist for the win. This was a hard-hitting matchup between Daniel Garcia and uh, Eddie Kingston. They know each other so well. They had matches with each other so well, so they know what to do and what not to do with each other. It was a great hard-hitting match between both of these men. After the match, Kingston would take his belt off and he would illustrate like he's about to hit Garcia with it, but he instead just throws it on the mat gets a mic, grab Garcia by the head, and looks directly into the camera and tells Jericho that he's saving that whooping for him. So, again, Kingston's main focus is to take out Jericho Appreciation Society just to get to Jericho and more or less probably beat on him with a belt the same way that 
Jericho has been beating on Kingston for these past couple weeks. After this, we will get our main event for the TBS Championship, Jay Cargill with Mark Sterling in her corner, defending the title against Marina Shafir. Jay Cargill would win the match by pinfall when Jay was able to hit Jaded to win and retain her TBS Championship. Now Jade is 30-0. I was afraid for Jade because literally towards the end of the matchup, uh, Marina was able to lock in Jade with a uh, heel hook and... At that point, I thought, okay, Jade's going to lose the match because I didn't see her. She tried to uh, get out of it, and I just thought with the TV tie remaining, I was like, oh, no, two more minutes. Jade might tap out, but that didn't happen. Jade was able to kick Marina so much in the head that Marina would let go, and then she would lock Jade in and do the move and then win. So Jade Carr goes 30-0, and she's still TBS champion. Good uh, Rampage, good quick hour, trust me, you're not gonna miss nothing, trust me, you will, uh, it's a good hour just basically to spend if you want to watch Professor Wrestling, so Rampage, I give it a good thumbs up. Now, before I get you guys out of here, I said I was gonna talk about my ideas of what's gonna happen at Forbidden Door, what could lead towards Forbidden Door, and I want to start off with this, Double or Nothing is on May 29th, and then you got Forbidden Door, which happens on June 26th. Now, I say we start getting into the whole business of New Japan professional wrestlers invading AEW right around Double or Nothing, literally the main event when we have more or less probably going to be CM Punk going against Hangman and Page, the way this is headed. Um, and CM Punk going against Hangman for the AEW world title, you can have Hangman win, you can say that Kenta cost CM Punk the championship because Kenta has been going so heavy for years to go against CM Punk because CM Punk took the GTS, but GT uh the GTS from Kenta and CM Punk did mention how he did get that from Kenta, but everybody kept on putting the move with GTS and applying it with CM Punk instead of the originator Kenta. So for these past years, Kenta has been always saying that he wants a match with CM Punk. And uh last year, I believe when he or earlier this year when he got the United States Championship, he mentioned how he will always, he would mention in his uh, New Japan press conferences or post-matches in backstage situations, he would, from time to time, call out CM Punk as well. And then whenever the Forbidden Door announcement got announced, for the past couple of days, Kenta has been constantly calling out CM Punk, and this is telling you that Kenta wants CM Punk. Now, we can have Kenta cost CM Punk the match a double or nothing, and that could be your first New Japan guy popping in and basically really kicking open the forbidden door since he was literally the first guy from New Japan to pop over to AEW and literally let everybody know that New Japan was working with AEW literally last year whenever uh, Kenny Omega was going against Lance Archer, and I believe it was for the T, not the TNT, but the AEW World Championship in early, what, was it February, January, no, not January, but like February, Marches, one of the two, so it will only make sense for Kenta to be the exact same guy to bust open that, but I don't know if Kenta is injured or not, last time I heard he was kind of injured, but I think he's on the recovery path, and for Kenta to constantly throw this out, I would think he should be literally almost be able to come back, so that's just my whole deal with that, one. And if we don't get Kenta, I have an audible you can just throw out here. CM Punk, when he was on uh, WWE backstage, or this was one of the things that he did, I believe, either 
a year ago or two years ago when he was at a panel for uh, AEW's All In Pay Per View, and this is like they had their uh, uh, you know, how WrestleMania has WrestleMania access. AEW had that, but for like double or nothing in or all out, one of the two. Either way, Punk was there. He had his own little panel and. People mention whenever he's going to come back to wrestling, Punk said that he doesn't think he's going to be able to come back because he doesn't think he's going to be able to hang with the people like uh, he was able to name certain people. But the name that really stuck out was like Will Ospreay. And he mentioned it again also on Twitter. So you can have Will Ospreay cost uh, CM Punk the matchup because Will Ospreay's on a whole deal about getting screwed constantly. And you know what? To take all the edge off everybody, he can go over and beat up on CM Punk or call CM Punk it and say, well, you didn't think you could hang with anybody and you said that you didn't know. So I'm the ultimate measuring test. Hang with me. You did it with Darby. Yeah, yeah, cool. You did it with all these other flash in the pants, but your ultimate test is me to see if you can really hang or give Osprey some other alternative motive because the fans will already connect CM Punk's tweets and what he said back in the past to this and people will be able to make that connection. Trust me, diehard AEW fans or the diehard wrestling fans who know New Japan logic, who know uh, backstory on Twitter and all this type of stuff. Trust me, that's the AEW legit hardcore fan base that you would be able to trigger with this. So that's just my way of doing that. So either you got Kenta or Will Ospreay for that. Okay, there you go. And as AEW is going, you will have slowly some New Japan stars pop in here or there or send in like some video uh, programs or video uh, promos of them saying who they want to face and here and there, da-da-da. So then you do that. You get through uh, Forbidden Door. And Forbidden Door, also, by the way, for people that don't know this, uh, Forbidden Door is going to happen a couple weeks before the New Japan G1 Climax. G1 Climax for New Japan is their biggest uh, tournament that they have every year, and that winner has a ticket to the main event of Wrestle Kingdom to face for the World Championship. And you can have people fight for a qualifying matchup to be inside the G1 Climax at Forbidden Door. And for me, I would say you would give them about a good five matches, and three of them will be uh, veterans, well, not veterans three of them will be newcomers winning those matches while two of the other matches will be veterans for me i would say you probably send someone like a malachi black over there to do g1 you'll send someone like a wheeler yuda because wheeler yuda already has his momentum and why not he's a young guy and everybody will love him over there in japan as well i think they like that whole fighting spirit stuff that yuda has and you'll give him that i don't know who the other two but malachi black and yuda were my guys i thought you would send over if you don't send malachi over there you can send uh, Buddy Matthews over there because he has a extensive repertoire of wrestling arsenal maneuvers. And plus, I believe out of the three guys of House of Black, Brody King is married and he has a child. Uh, Malachi Black is married. I don't know who Buddy Matthews is, so you can send him off and you can have him go over there and do his whole deal over there and let the fans uh, know about Buddy Matthews and see his wrestling style because his wrestling style really works also with New Japan style. So you can do that for Buddy Matthews. But again, those are like my people that I think that should be going over there at this moment. I'll probably hit you with some more next week. But that's my idea for who should be going over there. I know Malachi Black, and if not Malachi Black, you can substitute it for uh, Buddy Matthews, but also Willa Yuta. But anyway, Forbidden Door is a big deal. 
You see how quickly I'm trying to already think of ideas how you can easily build up the Forbidden Door pay-per-view and also uh, the partnership with New Japan and AEW because this does a lot for AEW and New Japan. For New Japan, it does a lot for them on the American side because they got this TV deal with Access and they can promote that on AEW television by saying, hey, you can check out uh, New Japan on Access TV uh, only if uh, Warner allows that, but I think they should because TNT, well, AEW has business with uh, New Japan, I think Warner will be okay with that, so that's one. And then two, you can uh, have more New Japan stars come over to AEW and showcase New Japan and what New Japan wrestlers are all about. Also, here's the thing that just clicked in my head. You can have Okada go against the world champion, world champion versus world champion at Forbidden Door. I see that more or less probably happening. It all depends on who's going to be the world champion at the time whenever uh, Forbidden Door happens. For me, I still think it's going to be Hangman Page. I don't think we're going to get Okada versus Punk. That'll be something that we save way, way down the line. And also, at Forbidden Door, I see we're going to see probably uh, the Young Bucks get kicked out of the Undisputed Elite. That's my opinion. If not, then we're probably going to see it at, what, double or nothing. We're probably going to have the Young Bucks probably going against the Undisputed Elite. That's the way I'm thinking about it, and probably Tama joining up with the Young Bucks. But my vision for the Forbidden Door host thing is you have Adam Cole, Red Dragon, uh, Jay White, and some members of Bullet Club in the middle of that ring. You'll see the Young Bucks come walking out, and then you'll see Kota Ibushi come walking out. The fans will already start blowing their mind. Kota Ibushi is not ready to wrestle yet, but you can just imply it. And then you can have Kenny Omega walk out onto that ring. And then you can have the ultimate stare down of the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, and Kota Ibushi, the ultimate legit friends or the ultimate alliance looking at the Bullet Club and Red Dragon and Adam Cole in that ring. And you could end the show with that if you want to do that. See, that's what I'm saying. You don't have to have Kenny literally wrestle because I don't think Kenny's uh, ready in wrestling condition yet. I mean, yeah, sure, he is a he's another one of those guys that he takes care of his body. And trust me, whenever he's ready to come back, he'll be ready to come back because he can't wait to do it. But I don't think Kenny's in a uh, shape to be ready to get back into the ring. So you can have those four guys stand on the ring, not ring, but just stand on the stage just looking at Bullet Club and... Uh, Red Dragon and Adam Cole, and that can give you an implication of what could happen in the future. Because again, the fans don't need them to touch right that moment. They can just see them just stare down the ultimate stare down, and the fans will already be clamoring and just chomping at the bits just for that match to happen. But again, that's just again me thinking. That's my first layers of what I think should happen at Forbidden Door and how this could. Uh, help change AEW New Japan and also get the fan bases uh, involved. Because if you do that, if you give us Kenta versus Punk at Forbidden Door, you're going to give us a great matchup point blank. Somebody's going to hit the GTS and people are going to love it and lose their mind either way. If you give us uh, Punk against Osprey, people are going to love that. There's no way people are not going to love it. If you give us Hangman versus Okada at Forbidden Door, people are going to love that. Two of the Two of the heavyweights uh, champions going against one another. People are going to wonder, is the AEW World Champion or New Japan World Champion going to be the cha- uh, be the winner? People are already going to be invested in that. People are going to be invested in the G1 Climax's uh, qualifying matches if they decide to do that. I'm just throwing that 
ideas after ideas after ideas for you to use AEW and or New Japan if you happen to listen or if somebody happens to listen to news uh, connections to AEW or New Japan, you can use these ideas freely. Use them. Build upon them. I'm just throwing it out there for you because me as a fan, I would like to see the best product be always uh, produced on television or in pay-per-views, if you will, and that would be greatly appreciated. Um, but again, next week, um, as this week goes on, I'll probably be thinking of more ideas, and hopefully next week I'll bring you back with more ideas of what I think could happen at Forbidden Door. As Forbidden Door, the pay-per-view is approaching on June 26th, but that leaves me still enough time to think of more ideas. But that's just a layering brick for uh, what I think could happen at Forbidden Door and also at uh, Double or Nothing and the beginning stages of the G1 who could get into it. Now, with that being said, let me give you guys my social media links so I can get you guys out of here. On Twitter, you can find me at at my2podcast. Instagram, my2centspodcastg2. And my email for you to email me for anything that you need. If you need me to talk to you or you need to uh, give me some information about some ideas for professional wrestling or some news uh, topics for my Sunday episodes, my email is my2centspod at yahoo.com. I'll spell it out for you. M-Y, the number two, not T-W-O or T-O-O. I actually put the number two. C-E-N-T-S-P-O-D at yahoo.com. Uh... I want to thank Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbeam, Audible, and Amazon Music for allowing me to do what I do every week. I greatly appreciate it. Apple, please stop hiding my uh, my uh, analytics from me. Stop hiding who from every state is downloading the podcast. It would be greatly appreciated for me to see my analytics again. I would greatly appreciate that. Thank you. And please, everybody, have a great Saturday. I hope you guys have a great Saturday. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy your time out here. Please be careful on the road because, again, people are crazy out here on the road. So please be safe. Be careful. Please enjoy your time. Have a great Saturday. I love you all. Hope you guys listen to my Sunday episode. It's entitled uh, Be Smarter. And, uh, yeah, I hope you guys have a great Saturday. I love you all. Have a great day. And, Kanye, can you please take these people home? I'm tired. You tired. Uh Jesus wept.